Uh, sometimes when we read through the Gospel of John, we, it seems like there's a lot of repetition. And, but then if we go back and we look at it more closely, we find out that what the author is doing is just taking and showing us gently one facet and another facet. Uh, and and uh, there's so much we learn from this Gospel. Studying God's Word one verse at a time, this is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. This is an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and I'm Mike Trout. The church is on the web at highlands.us. Pastor Leighton is in the book of John again, and he'll begin at the 31st verse in the 8th chapter in just a moment. If you'd like to join the congregation for worship this coming weekend, you can find details about the service times on that website again, highlands.us. Here's Pastor Layton. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now this portion of Jesus' sermon is concerned with the truth. In fact, it's mentioned seven times uh, in this portion of the, uh, of the, of the sermon. And uh, truth has been a fascination of mankind over the many centuries. In fact, even in the time of Jesus, when he, Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? What is truth? We all have various concepts we have uh, uh, of, the, of truth. And some of those uh, we have received through subconscious and semi-conscious influence. Now, if it's happening at a conscious level, we can be aware and alert to how we are being influenced. But if it's happening at a subconscious level or a semi-conscious level, we need to be made aware so that we can be alert to what we're being conditioned. Uh, one of the great, outstanding, and exceptional uh, Bible scholars and pastor teachers of our day uh, wrote something that I, I wanted to share with you because it really provides us a historical perspective on uh, what has influenced us at a semi-conscious and subconscious level. He writes, throughout history, people have always sought to know the truth about reality, what's right and what's wrong, about what's meaningful and purposeful in life. As a result, endless philosophies, worldviews, and religious systems have arisen over the centuries, each claiming to teach the absolute truth, and each in turn contradicting the absolute truths of those that came before it. The belief that mankind on his own could formulate a perfect philosophical system that would fully explain all of reality reached its peak during the Enlightenment. Human reason, it was thought, would eventually discover the answer to all of life's questions and thereby solve all of society's problems. The assumption was that through intellectual achievements and a growing body of scientific knowledge, humanity would eventually achieve utopia. Hence, there would be no need for religion, which has obviously kept people in stifling darkness for centuries, and there's no interest in divine revelation or salvation since mankind believed that they could save themselves. But the optimism of the Enlightenment has faded in recent times. The unimaginable slaughter of two world wars, the unfathomable evil of the Holocaust, and the terrifying reality of nuclear wars shattered the unrealistic idealism of the 18th and 19th centuries. In its place, skepticism and pessimism 
have begun to take hold, as well as feelings of uncertainty about life and reality. Increasingly, the very concept of truth itself came under fire, especially the possibility of knowing absolute truth. Sinners want to do evil and feel no guilt, and so the lack of absolutes accommodates the desperately wicked human heart. People imagine that by denying the existence of absolute truth, and by throwing off the shackles of biblical morality, they would finally be set free. Instead, they find themselves only more empty and enslaved to destructive passions. Well, the skepticism of the 20th century culminated with the rise of postmodernism, a worldview that is still popular today. Postmodernists reject the notion that ultimate truth is knowable or that it even exists. Rather, they contend that the truths that people believe in are merely societal norms that were created by the culture in which they live. There is no timeless truth. Whatever works for the people is true for them. You've heard that. You've heard people say, hey, if that works for you. Pragmatism and relativism reign supreme. Ironically, the only thing postmodernists are absolutely certain of is that nothing is absolutely certain. Now, because postmodernists want to sin freely, they need to have a view of truth that is culturally determined and that and argue that there is no morality or law that is supreme. The most noble virtue is tolerance of other views, and that's especially true in areas of morals, where imposing one's own values on someone else is seen as an appalling offense. Well, that, of course, would make biblical Christianity intolerable. So, in other words, those who believe in tolerance are intolerant of those who are intolerant. And by rejecting the possibility of absolute truth, postmodernism rejects the only path to true freedom, which is the message of the gospel. Now this, I say this because this has influenced us as American Christians today. We are told that in churches across America today, 85% of people who identify themselves as Christian believe that there are other ways to heaven outside of the ways that the scriptures clearly give us. Now, in contrast to the speculations of men, the Bible teaches us truth. Truth that is absolute for all people, in all cultures, at all ages. The truth about God and man, good and evil, life and death, and especially the way of salvation. Now, while this world clings to its uncertain wisdom, which... The scriptures describe as earthly, natural, and demonic. Believers have been given the truth in God himself. God is the God of truth. Jesus is full of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Bible is the word of truth. Remember Jesus' prayer in in John 17, his high priestly prayer. He said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And like God himself, the truth, his truth, is eternal and unchanging. Now salvation comes from faith in the truth. Those who are redeemed are those who believe and know the truth. Believers worship God in truth. They're committed to the truth. They obey the truth. They love the truth. They speak the truth in love. And they walk in the truth. 
Now the truth of which John is writing here is the truth that is bound up in the person and the work of Jesus. It is the saving work, uh, the saving truth. It is the truth that saves people from the darkness of sin. This is the kind of freedom of which John writes. See, people don't always recognize that they're in bondage. And some assume a position of freedom based on their, their privilege or their religion or their nation or, or some other source. The truth that brings spiritual freedom is the theme of this very brief but powerful passage. And this passage, this sermon that Jesus preached, took place towards the end of his earthly ministry, only, say, six months before he went to the cross. So for two and a half years previous, Jesus had repeatedly made claims to being the Son of God and the Messiah, and he had presented many miracles to verify that claim, and yet the religious leaders and many of the people rejected him. Now, as we look through this chapter, we can easily see how hostility grew towards Jesus. At first, the hearers merely denied that what he said was true. And then in verse 41, they suggest that he is illegitimate. And then in verses 48 and 52, they suggest that he has a demon in him. And finally, in verse 59, they get so hostile towards him, they pick up stones in order to kill him. But not everyone is hostile to Jesus. Verse 30 says that as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now their faith was not a saving faith. It was not a complete faith, but it was the first step towards that faith. And so the Lord's goal in giving us this teaching is to point them and us to a full saving faith in him. The kind of faith that would truly set us free from sin and death and Satan and hell. And so he begins by describing the pathway to freedom. And then he exposes the false notions that deceived his audience that day, the Jews, into thinking they were already saved. And then finally he extends a promise of freedom to all who have a genuine saving faith. Now let's look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, this section is addressed to those who profess to believe in him, but obviously they didn't clearly and completely understand that. They, they listened to what he had to say. They agreed with what he had to say, but he was, they were not willing to really give him their full devotion and allegiance. And this is a most dangerous spiritual state. To, to recognize that Jesus is who he claims to be and to do nothing about it means that, in effect, one is aligning themselves with the enemies of the Lord. And it also indicates that there's some spiritual force at work that is holding back the would-be believer from taking the right course of action. And anyone who is in that kind of a position is really not free. Now, belief is the initial point of contact with Christ, but that's not saving faith. Not all faith is saving faith. You notice that there's a pattern in John's gospel that's important to be aware of. Uh, if we were to go back to chapter 2, Jesus first uh, displays his miraculous powers in Jerusalem. And we read in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name and when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. 
they supposedly entrusted themselves to him, but he didn't entrust themselves to them because he knew better. Well, we'll have to end it right there as Pastor Layton continues to take us through the book of John on this daily visit we call Study Verse by Verse. I'm Mike Trout, and uh, we'll continue at this same time tomorrow in the book of John, the 8th chapter. I hope you can join us. If you've missed any of these studies, you can find them on our website at studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. The church's website is highlands.us. The messages in total are also on that website, again, highlands.us. And, of course, the service times and directions to the church are on the website, plus all of the other ministries going on besides the pulpit ministry with Pastor Leighton Sheely. It's all on the website, again, highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll be back tomorrow when we wrap up the week and study verse by verse.